0: Okay, let's go.
1: I'm telling you, Doc, the them pussy is different. Ah, pussy is pussy. Just watch me. That was the wrong button.
2: <laughs> Interesting choice.
1: I was like, that's not our great new theme. <laughs>
0: I like the ending of that. It reminds me of the old tsunami theme. We're just kind of cut out. I'm Justin. My pronouns are he
1: and him.
2: Uh, I'm Sadie. My pronouns are they, them.
1: And I'm Jay. My pronouns are he, him. We're not librarians tonight, apparently. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> fuck, fuck that.
0: It was just quiet. I didn't know. I was like, oh, are they waiting on me? Okay, hang on. <laughs> uh, it's Sadie's episode tonight. We're talking ransomware. Woo. Was there anything else we wanted to talk about? Like Italy. W-
2: Lizzo
0: becoming a fascist cool.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no girl boss Mussolini
0: the Lizzo thing was pretty cool I wanted her to after she did like the do 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 to like smash it like a guitar
1: yeah that'd fucking rule. that fucking roll. that would have yeah. been like couldn't do that twice call me a lib but I was I got I, I was touched I don't even like like Lizzo that much but I was like oh this is cool People were like cheering in the audience for like, yeah, fucking libraries. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. Thank you, Lizzo, for doing better outreach and advocacy than anyone in our profession has ever done ever.
2: I did not hear about this. She got to play um,
1: James Madison's like crystal flute that like no one mm-hmm. has ever heard been played before. Like, I'm assuming that old bastard probably played it, but it's part of Library Congress's like big ass flute collection and Carla Hayden was like, Hey Lizzo, you should play the the flute. And she did. And they record some like behind the scenes of like showing t- like touring and she got to practice with it, but they had like a librarian, like bring it on stage at her show on Tuesday, which I'm assuming was in DC or something. I don't know. Um,
0: yeah. I think she was coming to DC and Carla Hayden tweeted at her and was like, you should come try out our flute collection.
1: Yeah, and um, so she like did a little run on the on the on the crystal flute, and did a trill and like started twerking with it, and then was like yeah, and like lifted it above her head, and was like thank you Library of Congress for preserving history and letting me do this like really cool thing, and like was like hyping up like libraries and stuff, and the crowd was like yeah, and I was like yeah, <laughs> so it was. Really and she's cool. also
0: like I'm gonna steal it. It was <laughs> before she played it. She was like I'm gonna steal this
1: i'm gonna steal the the declaration of independence but with a flute that'd be such a good movie that should be like the national treasure reboot is lizzo stealing the fucking flutes nicholas cage are you listening
0: (laughs) it could be a heist movie about flutes
1: hell yeah get the american animals guy to direct it yeah that was like a good library thing finally that happened
0: yeah like I said, I mean, when she held over her head, I really thought, like, it would be really great if she just went, shattered it into a
1: million pieces. I saw someone say that she should have pissed in it, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's not that kind of party. It's a concert. <laughs> not with that attitude, Justin.
0: I guess it's good that it was a crystal flute and not one of those, like, glass harmonicas that would give you lead poisoning from the same era. Because, <laughs> like, glass all had lead in it, and so people thought the glass harmonica drove you mad. Um, but actually it was because you would absorb the lead through your fingers while you played it.
2: It was secretly the lead poisoning all along. The real treasure.
0: It's (laughs) so weird how we've known lead is bad for you for like thousands of years. And we're just like, put
1: that shit in our paint. But what if we put it in our makeup? Would that still be bad?
0: (laughs) What if we put it in exhaust fumes for everyone to inhale for a hundred years?
2: And the dishes we eat off of.
0: I love those radium dishes, though. People are like, I collect the radium dishes, and it's like it shows how radioactive they are. And I'm like, why would you do that? It's like, I collect cool. demon cores.
1: <laughs> Open up and let the devil in, baby. Yeah, I, I, I'm
0: a demon core juggler.
1: <laughs> What's a demon What's up, core? TikTok?
0: It's a big uh, uranium uh, piece of ore that killed a guy because he was doing tricks with it in the 50s, and he uh, he accidentally had the two halves touch each other, oh, and it shit. hit him with so much radiation, he died, like,
1: three days later. Oh, I thought you were... I thought it was going to be some, like, anime thing.
0: <laughs> no, nope, it's Same. a real thing that killed a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I think it not killed, like lie, everyone in the room.
1: Not to laugh at the suffering, but I thought you were going to do some weeb shit. <laughs>
0: so. <laughs> Demon Core would be a good anime where it's just uh, 10 minutes long. <laughs>
1: Oops! <coughs> Oops! All, all radiation. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Oops! All neutrons. Okay, we're talking about ransomware, uh, which is a thing that people do.
2: Yeah, because Baker and Taylor got hit and was down for like two weeks and couldn't take any orders. And I think they might have been even like taking orders like via phone call and like paper. I don't know how archaic they had to get, but they were out of commission for like two whole weeks.
0: So ransomware is something we talk about a lot in the Discord, but we haven't done an episode about it.
2: Have we talked about it a lot on the Discord?
0: It's like your biggest fear. You talk about it a lot.
2: Oh, yeah, that's because it keeps me up at night. L.A. Unified School District got hit recently, too just like a couple of weeks ago. And it's like one of the biggest ransomware attacks on like a public entity that's ever like happened. They're the second largest school district in the country, apparently not going to pay the ransom and are partially back up on their feet. Apparently they figured out what was happening, went to do a massive password reset, got halfway through the password reset, and then realized that the bad actors were still in the system and just changed the passwords again so they like started to do this whole massive thing and then got halfway through it and realized it was all for moot because then they were just changing the passwords on them again so apparently for their like what like sixty thousand students and employees and stuff to change their password they have to go to an lausd campus to change their password because it's not possible yeah they can't do it off network So for whatever portion of their network they have back up and running. Uh, But yeah, this is the shit that keeps me up at night because uh, it's pretty much an inevitability. People talk like it's something that only happens sometimes, but it's actually like super duper common. It just doesn't get a whole lot of publicity because nobody wants people to know that their systems were cracked, basically. But yeah, like Justin, you put this thing in here about the huge rise in attacks since COVID-19 because everybody went to working from home. And that's like Mm -hmm. a gigantic gap, especially with how fast so many people or how how fast so many organizations had to stand up outside stuff like VPNs and all of that. Just so much shit got missed and so many places are still- And how do
1: you even like force your employees to use VPNs, right? I
2: mean- they can't access the shit they need to access unless they're on it.
1: Sometimes,
2: sometimes yeah. it depends on your setup. Like,
1: yeah, that's
2: how we have it set up in my work. Like, we, we can't get to the ILS. You can't like I can't log into any servers or run a run a handful of programs that like monitor stuff unless I'm on the VPN. So at least in my job, it's absolutely like critical. But yeah, so
0: I think I have to be on the VPN to be on my P account. I think. I, I'm not sure. But that's like three levels of security.
1: I never had to be on one at UNH when I was at home. Never. Because none of the stuff that I, was, I wasn't I was working with, it was only if you were working with specific kinds of information or software. And I wasn't working with any of those.
0: Well, I, I had to get like two different signatures to get a P account itself. Like my, my university is pretty paranoid, which is good because I worked for a university that wasn't paranoid. And I would just, like, find Fishers in our system. And I would be like, hey, um, this person's name is Myra Fisher. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a phishing account. (laughs) Like, this person does not because I knew everyone who works here. I'm like, I don't think this is a person here. And so they were like, oh, yeah, we'll do something about it, I guess. We'll block them. I was like, that's unsettling.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'd say unsettling.
0: But LAUSD, I didn't realize how big they were. Is that why Mm -hmm. it was... I didn't realize that was why you put it in the notes. I read the article. I just didn't notice how big a deal that one was.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty big deal because they're such like the second largest school district in the country. And also because as things have progressed, the bad actors have alluded to not only wanting a ransom for to be able to decrypt the data, but also the ransom for not leaking all of the student data that they scraped. Before they encrypted everything. So it's like a double. Double threat now. Like of blackmail. You know not only do you not have any of your shit. But you also now. Are going to you know. Have a massive breach of privacy. And inf- like data breach. But they're not going to pay the ransom.
0: Maybe you should explain technically. For people who don't understand. How a ransomware attack
1: actually works. Because maybe people. Yeah. And like what ransomware is. yeah, Aren't aware yeah.
2: Yeah, good point. So ransomware at its most uh, too long, didn't read version is basically uh, when a bad actor or you know malicious hacker or whatever gets on your network, gets to your data, and then encrypts all of it uh, so nobody can access it anymore and then says, you need to pay me this much amount of money in Bitcoin and I'll give you the decryption keys so you can have your shit back. There are a lot of things that you can do to try to prevent, like like protect yourself against it, or what to do if it happens. So like having solid backups and not just one set of backups, but backups of your backups and backups of your backups off site. And I think it's the three two one rule where you have three copies of your backups. Now I'm trying to remember.
1: Like one of them is like two types of
2: Yeah, three copies of your backups on two different mediums and one offsite. Although I don't think yeah. the two different mediums thing stands as much anymore because nobody uses like backup tapes.
1: Or you could have like a, a drive versus the cloud maybe. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Or like offline backups are a thing too. Yeah. So like, you know, you have your back- backups stored somewhere, but that storage stays offline unless it's actively being backed up too. Yeah. But yeah, some of that doesn't, work as well anymore because a lot of the time, even cloud backups, if they're in the system long enough, they'll figure out how to encrypt the backups too. And one of the major things that IT always struggles with is testing backups. So you can have backups all day long, but if you don't know if those backups will actually restore shit to the state that you need, then you might as well not have a backup. But it's also tedious and time-consuming. And a lot of IT shops let it Absolutely fall by the wayside. One of my previous positions, I was there for nine months and then I realized that we had literally no backups. Not a single backup, like our email server, our ILS server. Well, I think we had some scattered backups of our ILS server, but I was just like absolutely panicked because, like, how the fuck do you not have any backups, not even dated ones?
0: like john is gonna listen to this episode and have a heart attack so maybe we should like put a trigger warning for him specifically at the beginning of this episode
2: yeah hi john
1: i should show (laughs) this one to my dad because he used to work in it
2: as well
1: for like an internet company as well so like double trouble
2: yeah but how that's kind of the end point of ransomware and it always almost always starts with phishing and it usually takes a lot of time. It's not like all of a sudden we've been hacked and shit's been encrypted. Usually, if it gets to the point where ransomware hits, they've been in your systems for, for weeks because it it takes time to hack a system. You have to get credentials to get in and then you figure out how to get those credentials escalated and then, uh, you know, put in your back door. So even if the initial malware gets caught, you could still find a way in and, you know, you have to data harvest. And this just, it's a very involved process, but a lot of it can also be automated. There are a ton of hacking tools out there that you can, basically, you don't have to have a whole lot of knowledge to do, like, to run them.
0: Board teenagers can do a lot of this, and I did a lot of shit as a board teenager. I took down my middle school's website on accident. Oops. Luckily, we had a backup, and we got it back up.
2: Like, you, as the teenager, had the backup and put it back up?
0: It was, like, saved in the browser cache, Um, But yeah, we were, we were just goofing. We were just, um, we were changing like the president, the principal's name to like Fidel Castro. And, and then we accidentally just did a, oops, we don't know how this pirated version of Adobe works. And we took down the (laughs) index.php file or whatever we did. Um, And then the next day my friend got questioned by the IT guy. (laughs) And he was like, were you on the website yesterday around 5 p.m.? And he was like, nope, don't know anything about it. Okay.
2: Sure. We can try it again.
1: Fidel <laughs> Castro.
2: Well, and like at my work, we've recently had somebody trying to hack the public computers, and it's to me it's really funny just because you can sit there and see it happening, and you can like. We could all tell that it was just somebody figuring out how to use these tools and how to do this shit. It was not somebody who does it professionally, I guess. So we're all just like, okay, we gotta get this guy to stop doing this eventually because he's just fucking up a whole bunch of our computers. But like nobody was actually like worried because it's it's just a public computer and and those things get beat to hell and re-imaged and you know, completely wiped and rebuilt like all of the time. So
0: I probably do worse shit to my workstation like regularly just because I find something IT did to it annoying. This is why when you get fired, they close your email
1: immediately. Yeah.
2: Yep. If they know what's good for them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have full admin privileges on my work computer. Really, the only um, restrictions I have are the same restrictions that everyone has is that There are actually internet filters, even though I work at a university, which makes me sad because sometimes I'll be like researching something for the homosaurus and Ah. it's like sex and I'm like, okay. Um, We had
0: like a Dell one that I hated because it would, it it would all, it was extremely aggressive. I think we have one at my current job, but like I almost never hit it. Yeah. like it's got to be like a actually dangerous site yeah. to like pop up something.
1: And then there's um for our email, and again, it's especially with with phishing, because it it's mainly through email that the phishing happens. Is we have this thing called Mimecast. I don't know if you've heard of it, Sadie. It like you can set it to certain levels of like restriction, and it will like quarantine things that you know don't fit what's allowed. And then you have the ability to like block it, allow it that one time, or like permit it and like add the domain to the safe sender list, basically. Which means I get so many emails a day because I'm on like the Music Library Association listserv.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: and anytime it's a person I haven't added yet, it's so fucking annoying. But also we have it set that it it like really doesn't like external email addresses. So even if it's a student or a new applicant emailing from a gmail account it will block it
2: that is that is one hyperactive email filter
1: (laughs) yeah and so like i was actually glad that like because i probably shouldn't have been applying to jobs with my unh email address but i was actually after i learned that i was glad i did because otherwise my emails may have gotten lost and stuff like yeah, it was external, but it was at least a .edu. Whereas once we, once I accepted the job offer and we moved to Gmail, shit kept getting lost, uh, including my like ability to even get my account because of that that filter. So huh. it, it's my one frustration in life right now is Mimecast. Otherwise, it, things are fine, <laughs> but <laughs> I fucking hate it so much. But I understand why. But I that doesn't mean I like it. You
2: that's know? fair. There are there sometimes are sometimes you of have things. to eat your
1: veggies you don't like. You know
2: exactly. Yeah. So so that's kind of how how ransomware works. Almost always starts with phishing. So like Kevin, have either of you heard the name Kevin Mitnick before?
1: It sounds familiar. He
2: he was a he was a hacker in the early nineties. I feel like. Who, uh, actually got caught, served time in prison, and then got out and immediately became a cybersecurity expert and now runs like a cybersecurity, like education company and all of the shit. But, um, he, the, the one that he has and runs is called Know Before. And basically it's just like how to spot phishing. To me, at least, it's like so obvious and easy, but that's because like I stay up at night thinking about these things. So I understand when other people like don't catch shit, but it's always going to be people is the thing. We can build as much technology and apply it as much as possible, as much US as possible, UX as possible, but like it's always going to come down to the actual people are always almost going to be the first breach that has that leads to something like ransomware hap- happening because it really depends on what they're after. They might be after money. They might, if they're a state actor, if they're like, you know, a Russian sanctioned hacking group, they probably aren't going to care about ransomware. They're going to go for, you know, proprietary information and stuff. So it, it varies a lot, but ransomware is almost always just like money motivated one thing that I saw recently that I was like, oh yeah, huh, that makes a lot of sense. Is that ransomware is actually a bitcoin problem. Because if yeah. if bitcoin had never taken off, cryptocurrency in general had never taken off, then there would be no way for these transactions to even like be untraceable. So if you crack down on the financial side of things, you can make that shit stop a lot faster. Like somebody quoted in the notes from one of the um, links that I put in there, but uh, the Viagra thing, like 10, 15 years ago it was like every email had Viagra in it and it was scamming, you know, individual people out of two two or three hundred dollars at a time or whatever. And then there was this massive shift where things like ransomware and large ransoms started happening more often. And it was because they Uh, We're able to trace down a lot of those Viagra spammers and scammers back to their financial institutions, and go to the financial institutions and be like, "Hey, you got to shut this shit down, or you're going to get, you know." I don't know, sued by the government or whatever. You get like uh,
0: sanctioned and like other banks won't lend you money. So it doesn't even have to be like a, a government thing. It's just like other banks will stop dealing with you.
2: They won't let you like, they won't play nice with you anymore. They won't let you sit at the the cool bank table anymore.
1: And like with crypto and ransomware, that's also like um, – and, and I believe it's in Dan Olson's video. Um, is it – what is it? The Line Goes Up. That's the title of it, The Problem with NFTs. Um, talks about how like – they talk about how secure like the blockchain and like the proof of whatever stuff is because they're thinking of man-in-the-middle attacks, mm-hmm. which apparently those, sop- those securities are kind of effective against maybe. But what mostly happens is phishing – and ransomware, which like where they're invited in, basically, it's it's people pretending to like sell or barter or buy and stuff. And then that ends up happening. So it's like they're also being like they're the problem, like they're the cause, but they're also being targeted by mm-hmm. it. And like that's the huge flaw in that whole security system is that it's ignoring what the actual problem is and is completely ineffective against it. Because people are going to be people like I fell to a scam like last year because I had uh, put my name on a mutual aid list for my local area. And apparently someone found it and was like, oh, hey, I saw that you were on like the mutual aid thing. Like, you know, could you give me some money for like diapers and stuff for my, my kid real quick? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, how much do you need? Like, I just got paid. Like how much do you need? And they're like, oh my God, thank you. I was like, yeah, Great. And then, like, it'd keep happening every once in a while. And then, like, the stakes started getting higher. And also the number would change each time. And I was like, why is your number changing? I was like, oh, it's Google phone. And I didn't know anything about, like, how Google phone numbers work. I'm like, okay. But it just, like, kept to the point where if I didn't answer right away, they'd start spamming my, like, calling me over and over and over again, but never leaving a voicemail. And I just thought, like, oh, this person is just, like – Doesn't have boundaries or anything, but I would feel bad because they like, I was like, how did you get my number? How do you know who I am? They're like, you're on the Dover mutual aid list or not Dover. It was like the Seacoast mutual aid list. And I was like, oh, okay. Like they obviously got to that somehow, but yeah. And then I was like, wait, am I being scammed? Cause I'd given them like. One time I gave them like over a hundred dollars in money because they were like, I'm in like a serious thing right now. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, I'll help you. I, I have the ability to do that right now. Like I just got my tax return or something like, yes, I'd be more than happy to like to give you, you do, do a mutual aid. I was like, Oh shit. I think I'm getting scammed. And they, it's harder when you don't know yeah, the person. Cause like, yeah,
0: because pe- people with no boundaries like that
1: exist. Like, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Especially if you're desperate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, uh, as like savvy as I am, like my little like, oh, mutual aid bleeding heart got me, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason shit like the Nigerian prince scam and all of that stuff like works. Because like it's less about technical savvy and more about psychology and knowing how to – and like just being a good con man because like, that's what it basically comes down to. It's like the types of phishing that I see all of the time at my job are previous or current employees, personal emails got hacked, but they had emailed somebody at their organization, either by like forwarding stuff to themselves or, you know, not having access to their work email. So they email like a colleague from like their personal email or whatever. And then all of those contacts get Grabbed. And so now all of a sudden, you know, you have Betty from finance asking you if you can get her like emergency get her a a Google Play card for her nephew's birthday kind of stuff. And people are like, well, it's coming from, you know, Betty's actual address. So they fall for it. So there's that. And that happens on social media. That happens in email. That happens in phone calls and text messages, even. Then there are we, you need to pay us right now. Like your account is past due. Here's the invoice. You have to pay us right now or your service will be shut off. And it's always like, it's the panic. If it's inducing you to panic, then you should probably stop and think about it for like just a split second, please. Or it's you have an email waiting for you. So click this link and it like will release the email to you. But what it's really doing is just harvesting your credentials when you plug it into like some rando web page that is created to look like Microsoft Outlook login page, right? And those are the ones that like are the most common because they want your credentials, they want you to pay them money, and yeah. Those are pretty much the things they want you. They want your logins and they want your money. And no matter how they can get those, they'll figure out how to do it. Or um, we recently had a rash of, oh hey, I need to check. I need to change my bank for my direct deposit. How and it's, it's it's almost payday. How soon can I change this? If I send you this information, can you like do it for me? And it got to the point where an employee actually lost a paycheck because it got pushed all the way through. And their paycheck went to a bank that wasn't theirs. And nobody realized that this had happened until after payday when the, you know, employee went, uh, why didn't I get paid? And they went, no, you got paid. So that shit happens a lot too. And again, like it escalates from like a couple hundred dollars to now, you know, going into thousands of dollars, whole entire paychecks up to millions of dollars with ransomware, It's not that the stakes are higher, they're just aiming differently, I guess is really kind of what it is. But yeah, those are super, super common avenues of phishing that I see tons of all all of the time. And half the time, if your email filter doesn't catch it, your users need to catch it. And if your users don't know how to contact you or what to look for, or they don't want to seem stupid because everybody in IT is mean to them then they're not gonna tell you what happened or they're not gonna tell you everything that happened. Oh, I clicked this link, or I downloaded this thing. I'm not gonna tell you that it brought me to a web page and I plugged in my credentials, or it brought me to a web page and my computer did a weird thing afterward. You know, so there's there's a service sort of position there too. And this is like this is me back on my bullshit of IT actually being like a service in a lot of ways a service job because like if people don't trust you they're not going to tell you the shit you need to know and it's always going to be your users so what's the best thing you can do make sure your users don't feel stupid for not knowing everything you know i will probably just i will probably stand on that soapbox for my entire fucking career not going to lie
1: have you seen The um, I think his YouTube name is Kit Boga. Uh, He does uh, scam baiting um, because his grandma, I think, fell prey to like a phishing, like ransomware scam, and lost a lot of money, uh, like almost like all of her retirement or something. I think because of it, and so now he goes and like finds where it'd be obvious, like like especially the IT scams, Mm -hmm. and trolls them for hours sometimes days and fucks with them and he streams it so that he uses it as an educational thing to show people how like the types of methods at the and like he'll do like he'll mute himself for them and be like they're doing this or like this is this kind of script they're using so they're probably gonna ask me for this or mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff or like especially when it gets to the like oh let's go into your bank account and how they will go into the like block your screen from you but he has it set up like he has like a special thing set up and how they go into the browser like html and change it manually (laughs) to be like oh Oh, no you transferred the wrong amount of money oh no you have to send it all back now it was accidentally twenty five thousand dollars oh no Um, and stuff like that. And then it gets to like the, you know, the gift card thing. He just starts fucking with him. Sometimes he'll like pretend to be like an old grandma because they target the elderly a lot, like in, like in general. But yeah, it it was interesting to sort of learn all of the different like psychological methods um even out even outside of like the tech methods, the psychological methods oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. used in this kind of stuff.
2: It's it's like classic con kind of stuff, and the term for it is social engineering in like IT, because have either of you ever watched Leverage?
1: I have a friend who really likes it, so I know oh. a little bit about it. Yeah.
2: Basically they're like a group of con men and whatever. And like almost everything they do is some sort of social engineering, figuring out how to get somebody to trust you for a second. So shoulder surfing, like so much of it has nothing to do with technology and they call it social engineering. So it, it sounds fancy, but it is basically just knowing how to con somebody.
0: This is the show where they had a criminal consultant and the they were planning an episode and the guy goes... You're basically a criminal gang now, like, this is what criminal gangs do. Yes. Like, you don't need me anymore, because, like, you've just mapped out a plan exactly the way I would do it.
2: Yes.
1: So it sounds I, like a good show.
2: I watched yeah, most is, like, of it, cool. and I really liked it, and there was, like, a reboot Apparently recently. there's a good
1: fan fiction for it, apparently.
2: But yeah, going Sorry, back Sorry, it to- was just,
0: I was so excited i knew do something about TV, because <laughs> I never do, if it's not... I've like, I've, I've watched the first 10 episodes of Evangelion like 10 times and I can never finish it. So like, I don't, I can never talk about TV shows.
2: It's like the opposite of the American, American animals, like kids who were like, we're going to learn how to heist from watching movies. And meanwhile, this TV crew is like actually figuring out how to plan a heist uh, through fiction on here on the notes. I'm assuming it was you, Justin, who put common targets And like email servers, and then there's domain controllers, which are basically control all of the logins and a bunch of the credentials and stuff for pretty much any Windows-based like network system. You know, data servers, so like ILS databases or basically anything that has the personally identifiable information that a lot of like these hackers and stuff go for. But those are like the endpoint targets. The, the actual targets are always the people first, I guess is, is basically it. So it's like you could know what systems are eventually going to get hit, but that's not prevention.
1: It has to go through people first to get there.
2: It has to go through people first to get there. So that's what that made me think of. And then, yeah, there's the the sort of the, the double threat of both the data loss and the data leakage. And then not only with ransomware does that affect like you know your budget because you're paying out a whole bunch of money but if you choose to pay the ransom but like you know you lose your reputation you often have to report you know report certain kinds of data breaches to you know the government and you you know your operations are completely disrupted for weeks at a time like the the pipeline ransom, Ransomware that happened a couple of months back—that was a huge deal. Like those sort of critical infrastructure are giant targets for ransomware because they often have legacy systems that use uh, code that hasn't been changed or updated in 30 years, and it's like almost impossible to move off of because changing, like moving it onto a different like software system would cut people's power and water off kind of thing. And and it's much more embedded than like your sort of personal computing environment is. So um, uh, what's the term? Oh, I can't remember it now, but basically Technical it's- Technical debt? Huh? No.
0: Technical debt? No.
2: Technical debt. Actually, I know what that is now and that's a completely different thing. But it, there's a term for sort of the the sort of critical infrastructure systems- that work, they're basically like custom operating systems for very specific purposes. So, like, you know, when you go into a factory and it's like, you got, we got some very specific tools for some very specific things. It's that, but it's software. And a lot of times it's using code that nobody knows anymore, uh, hasn't been updated in a really it's long time. It's written in
1: like Fortran or something. Col-
2: <laughs> what is it? Cobalt? Cobol? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Basically, is so specialized that the dude who actually knew how to do anything with it retired 20 years ago and nobody's been able – like, it still runs so nobody dares touch it because it'll fall apart, right? And then not only do you – like, whatever your business or, you know, thing is comes grinding to a halt, but a lot of times it's financial institutions. So, like, banks will use a lot of this kind of stuff. Um,
0: y- Y2K almost happened.
2: Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. And, like, it's just, it's such a giant target now that the U.S. government is actually starting to take cybersecurity seriously at a decent level.
0: I was in one of those articles, and it was, like, director of cyber and digital infrastructure. I was like, why wouldn't you, what does cyber by itself mean? And, like, is it a Greek word? Like, why would it's just such a weird thing to be like cyber when as a millennial, that just means to jerk off on the internet.
2: Basically. It's very
0: funny yeah. to watch boomers talk about cyber just as a, as a noun.
2: Was it the cyber, cyber security infrastructure, cyber infrastructure security administration?
0: No, it, I mean, cyber security <laughs> makes sense. It was cyber and infrastructure manager. It wasn't like, it wasn't, used as a prefix it's whenever government officials use the word cyber just like by itself and everyone made fun of trump for doing this but this is like how government officials at the federal level talk and they're just like yeah i'm 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 the director of cyber i'm
2: cyber what
0: yes exactly what what does that mean (laughs) doesn't mean anything cyber security cyber infrastructure
1: cyber sex i mean cybernetics
2: (laughs) dildo teldonics is that what that was jay
1: the 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 dildonics
2: yeah dildonics the, that's
1: tel, it ted nelson ted nelson being a chad yeah yeah <laughs> i watched the cyberpunk anime yeah how was it
2: which one
0: the new one the new cyberpunk anime that netflix put out it's good but it, it, there's a time skip and then it gets confusing so but there's a lot of
1: nudity, which is good. I like naked people. It starts
0: off really strong, but I think it, it suffers from not having a good critique of capitalism, which is the whole problem with the cyberpunk game that came
1: out. And cyberpunk is a genre in general. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it started
0: out kind of that way. I watched Johnny Mnemonic the other day though, and everyone's like, oh, this is such a great movie. This is why Keanu Reeves was put in the video game. I watched Johnny Mnemonic. That movie doesn't make any fucking sense. I've never seen it. It's the Same. most confusing thing. It's, it's not good movie but everyone's like oh this is like a cyberpunk classic i'm like it's not
2: it's not good
0: it's the keanu's the, great it makes no sense
1: the the bunny is judging
0: yeah it's cost of cyber insurance okay what's cyber insurance
2: okay so cyber insurance is basically you buy insurance so that when ransomware eventually happens to you you have money to either pay the ransom or have money for resources to recover from whatever sort of cyber attack has occurred. And yeah, it's, it's basically like life insurance, but for your cybersecurity, except cybersecurity is a constantly changing thing in which it is almost impossible to accurately gauge risks like, you know, insurance is supposed to do and also almost impossible to gauge exactly how much of it is going on in real time because there aren't regulations about reporting there aren't concise concise ways to like know how much of these kinds of things are actually happening so sisa which i think is cybersecurity cybersecurity infrastructure fucking whatever it's a government thing sisa <laughs> They, like, honest to God, like, came out with a report recently, and they were just like, we don't know whether or not ransomware is getting better or worse. We literally just can't tell, and we're, like, the national security. We're the, the exact sort of administration that's supposed to know this kind of thing, and they don't. So how do you measure insurance for a risk that nobody can predict or foresee? So basically... All of these you know, different organizations or businesses and stuff are either not able to buy cyber insurance because they're not big enough to have a cybersecurity program to begin with, or their cybersecurity insurance is so expensive and has so many stringent requirements that it's cost prohibitive. And uh, that's something that I've been seeing a lot, at least for the two libraries I have worked with worked for in the past year or two.
0: So does everyone have this?
2: A lot of people. Um, basically any major organization is going to have it.
1: Who's more likely to be targeted a organization like major organization with the money to be able to get this kind of protection or maybe smaller organizations that don't necessarily maybe have the budget to get this kind of insurance or something that might protect them against you know when this kind of stuff happens.
2: Uh, That's part of what they can't really tell. But a lot of, yeah, the smaller organizations, small cities, small libraries, small counties, basically anywhere that has an infrastructure that people rely on, but not enough of a budget to actually have (laughs) Arthur uh, to actually have uh, a good cybersecurity program already in place. So probably the smaller organization kind of more likely.
1: For for the listeners at home, the reason why I say he went oh Arthur is because Arthur like puts his tail around my shoulders like when you're in high school and you go to the movies on a date and you do a big stretch and then you put your arm around the shoulder. Arthur did that, but with his tail. Just <laughs> yeah, really-
2: full body lean into Jay's back. It was He's really so cute. cute. I love him. But both of uh, these libraries that I've worked for have had cybersecurity insurance requirements, like go up so fast that it's actually like a struggle. Basically, they're saying you have to use multi-factor authentication on all of these different systems, or we're not going to renew your insurance, which is a really bad position to be in. But also, like if you work for any sort of corporate thing, there's, of course, might be a little easier to figure out how to get your employees to use multi-factor authentication when they're logging into the VPN or they're logging into their email or you know whatever but a lot of our employees literally only log into a computer to check their email and don't have a computer otherwise so they're also not going to have a smartphone probably or if they do they're not going to be able they're not going to understand how to use an authentication app not to mention a lot of these sort of public entities also have cell phone reimbursement So if you use your cell phone for multi-factor authentication to your workplace, they owe you money basically for using your personal cell phone for a work purpose. And then, you know, if you use something like a YubiKey, which is like a USB key, those get lost.
1: Which everyone should get. They're good. Which
2: everyone (laughs) should get. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, it's also training time because the sort of technical savvy of employees ranges so very widely like it's perfectly reasonable to expect your IT staff to be able to use multi-factor authentication and reimburse them for that use for their personal cell phones because they check email or use a multi-factor authentication app or you know all of this stuff that is pretty common it's another thing to ask your part-time custodian who checks their email for 20 minutes every day. And doesn't have a doesn't have a smartphone and doesn't have internet at home and doesn't want it, quite frankly, to be able to navigate multi-factor authentication. To be clear, if you can do multi-factor authentication, especially on your personal accounts, please do it. It is actually one of the best stopgaps to bullshit happening to your personal to to stuff. So, multi-factor authentication is basically you have one of you have two out of three things something you know something you have or something you are we all know passwords that's always almost always the very first thing and then the second thing is something you have so like the way that like google authenticator or okta or all of these other apps work is you have your phone you have the app on your phone it's not the it's not the app itself it's the fact that you have it on a device that you're not currently using to log into. So, like, it wouldn't be multi factor authentication if you were using an app on your computer that you also know the password to, because it's just kind of redundant. It's not a separate thing. So, something you have or something you are, which is biometrics, which I think is completely, absolutely fucking scary for any organization to get into. But there are things like Windows Hello or, you know, fingerprint scans, all kinds of stuff that is possible as that like third factor for multi-factor authentication. And that works really well in a lot of ways because that second check does stop a lot of things. So like your email gets hacked, somebody's trying to log into your bank, your bank forces you to use multi-factor authentication. You get a text saying, hey, is this you? If so, click on this or put in your put in the code from your app and you go, that's not me. I'm not doing that shit. And so they can't get in. So to be clear, multi-factor authentication is a good thing. It's just hard for organizations like libraries or like small cities or basically anything that has a constrained budget to really get off the ground in any sort of fast fashion. And most of the time these cybersecurities are like, we won't renew. These, these insurances are like, we won't renew your insurance next year. So you would have anywhere from a year to less to implement these things for your entire organization, which is just a, a massive undertaking. And you're probably already stretched thin on your budget and your staff time anyways. Yeah. So cyber insurance keeps skyrocketing the needs to, or the requirements for cyber insurance keep skyrocketing. And basically the thing that you need is money. You need to pay for new systems and new subscriptions. You need to pay for staff to learn how to do it or teach how to do it. You need to pay for the hardware itself, like YubiKeys or, you know, whatever else it is. So it's just, it's escalating rapidly and there's no clear way out, I guess I'm not really sure if I had a point with bringing this up, but it's just one of those things where I'm just like, "How can capitalism sucks?"
1: I <sighs> mean, and like the fact that it targets libraries because so often I feel like when you think of hacking and stuff, and I know this isn't technically hacking, I, I guess hacking's part of it. I don't know, but you think of hacking happening to organizations and people that have something worthy of being hacked, like where the data or what you can do with whatever system you get into is like the point. It's like, it's a value. Whereas like, if you think of library stuff, like, yeah, obviously there are potential, like, especially like any sort of financial security stuff in a library, but when I'm getting, you know, li- library, ALA code of ethics is going to get mad at me for saying this. Patron privacy is important. I would not share stuff, but also when I think of like a patron record, like hopefully the most that's probably like checkout history their address which like yeah doxing's bad but it's like it's not like getting into a bank account yeah a library i i guess is like city yeah (laughs) there's shit there and also like the types of systems that you have the access to if you hack like a city whatever but library it's like it doesn't seem like it would be a target just because of the type of information and systems that are there. But when money is the point, I guess it doesn't matter what the, you know, the bounty (laughs) within the systems might be. And if you know that, it would be easy to get into the system because you might not be able to require the more strict security because when you think about maybe the level of literacy is a bad word, but like literacy and skill of these types of things that your average patron Mm -hmm. might have. Yeah. I hope we're not giving people ideas.
2: (laughs) No, well, no, they already (laughs) have. Well, and part of the thing too is like with libraries, that sort of patron data that in a lot of ways is, is common addresses, full names, phone numbers, emails, etc. that is valuable in its own way because you can mm-hmm. take that large data set, sell it. Oh yeah. And yeah. That then fuels it even more because now, you know, this collection of personally identifiable personally identifiable information, that's it PII gets sold. And then because they know that it's accurate information, oh yeah, it then gets used for more accurate breaches and attacks. So mm. like, if you don't know if this email and this person and this address are all the same thing and you're guessing, then it's easier to spot it as scamming than if you know all of those things align and you use that information to get somebody to trust you. You know what I mean? So like, yeah,
1: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh,
2: yeah. No, I'm absolutely legitimately your bank because this is the address we have on file for you. And this is the phone number we have on file for you. And, you know, you're able to cross-reference those data sets that are for sale and say, oh, well, yeah, you purchased this off of your credit card. Like you may not know the actual credit card, like number, but you can Correlate that data and be like, this is a credit card. This is a charge on your credit card that you had last year. And somebody will go, okay, well, nobody but my bank would know all of that, which just straight up isn't true.
1: It's like whenever I've had to do like a a background check Mm -hmm. software thing or um, even to like confirm, like do like electronic check ins for my doctor's appointments, often Mm -hmm. one of the things that asks you is like, which one of these addresses is like, relevant to you or something it doesn't necessarily have to be the one you live at now but a previous
2: one or
0: the ones that are really annoying where it's like this is like a financial one but it's like when did you take out a car loan was it 2015 or 2016 i was like i don't remember
2: (laughs) i know i've had this car for a long time well and the thing is with that information you can get that off of credit checks
0: yeah yeah exactly so but they got like five of those in a row which are really weird it's like did you live at any of these addresses
1: it's like those fucking tweets that are like you know like like the what would your like stripper name or something be but oh. it'd be like yeah what's your
2: mother's middle it's it, you know it's your mother's yeah. middle
1: name and it's yeah, the street the, you grew
2: up on and it's the name of your first pet yeah yeah the
1: and it's, your yeah. And it's your password yeah
2: it's your password
1: and what's your social security number
0: I got what's that post going around on Tumblr? It's like, I don't want to know about your taste in music. I want to know what was your mother's maiden name? I want to (laughs) know what was the street you grew up on? What was your first pet's name? (laughs) What's your password? But the multi factor authentication thing is we've we create we we started with duo authentication. um, I want to say in 2019, maybe 2020. And now we have Microsoft authentication and someone there was an email that had to go out to everyone, which was like someone got into our system because someone approved a two factor authentication that they weren't actually doing, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy. But I get them all the time on my fucking phone and mm-hmm. I know my password hasn't really been breached. I change my password all the time. So someone's like still trying to change my password or something like that. And it's giving me multi-factor authentications all the time but if someone did have my password and asked me for a multi-factor authentication uh and i just was saying yes to all of these things like i get them you know pretty randomly uh someone i supervised was like why did i get a multi-factor authentication request i didn't send i'm like i don't know man it just happens like yeah don't say yes if it ain't you
2: well, and LastPass, which is a, like a password manager, they recently had a breach into their development mm-hmm. environment, which then had a whole bunch of proprietary information stolen. That's how that ha- that's how they got in, is because they had somebody changing. They had the credentials of somebody who had access into the development environment. They had their credentials. They sent the multi-factor request. <sighs> I forget exactly how it went. Like we're able to intercept it and then change the password again. So basically they were able to circumvent the multi-factor authentication and then use that to get deeper into the development system and and get the information that they wanted. And it that, had
1: nothing to do with how strong their, like, their encryption and and stuff was. Exactly. Yeah. And
2: and cybersecurity is like it's about layers. It's it's about having a a moat around a like fortress onion. with archers on top kind of shit. Yeah. It's like an onion. Um, <laughs> it, it really is like, there is absolutely no one thing you can do that will make you secure for a lifetime or, you know, even secure for two days. It's just as fast as we are finding ways to secure things. People are finding ways to undo that. So the very best thing that you can do is have a lot of ways to secure your information, but one thing I wanted to talk about too was, um, especially for any sort of public entity, security systems are massively expensive. When you buy like a hardware firewall, like an app appliance, which you have to have to have any sort of like security over your internet traffic um, coming in and out of your network, not only do you have to pay for the hardware, you also have to pay for uh, support and subscription for the hardware. So, like you get you're getting all of the latest updates to your antivirus signatures and and all of that stuff. So there's a lot of ongoing costs on top of hardware costs, which hardware costs, a lot of them are covered by um, things like E-rate, which make it a lot easier for the compromise for the filtering compromise, which we have discussed many times.
1: That's how they get you with the cop shit.
2: That's how they get you with the cop shit. No, this is also how they get you with the cop shit. Because Mm -hmm. when you can get decent security systems or decent security help, a lot of the times it's coming from places like the Department of Homeland Security, which CISA is like under that umbrella. And they basically run all of uh, a bunch of the infrastructure and election Security stuff um, in the entire country, but how do they get their information? They get it from fusion centers, which is cop shit.
1: What's a fusion center? A fusion
2: center is a.
1: It's like some Sailor Moon stuff.
2: Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> it is basically a multi-agency hub for things like the like the D, uh, Department of Homeland Security, FBI, state, federal. Local authorities basically to compile all of their cop shit data and surveillance data and be able to use it for cybersecurity purposes. Mm. But so much of that data is surveillance data. Like fusion centers are where bad, bad shit happens. Right. But at the same time, like as a library, we get a ton of information from the state fusion center on what IPs to block and what we should be watching out for so it's like being a public entity and and a lot of these services too are discounted or free for some sort of governmental entities so like we can get like libraries can get discounted network security basically keeping track of things at the boundary between your like internal networks and the internet and keeping that traffic and being able to bounce off known like risks. So if it's coming from an IP or a URL that like is known to be like malware, it'll just bounce it and not let it through, which is great for your cybersecurity. But that also means that the organization that Is doing that for you has access to a record of all of your internet traffic that's coming into your network. It's like a constant, like, it's like a double edged sword because you can get help from the government, but at the same time, place things like the Department of Homeland Security and libraries, you know, missions to be advocates for privacy are like in direct conflict with the exact kind of thing where you can get help. For the longest time um, at my previous job, ransomware keep me up at night. I had the phone number for a uh, the CISA security operations center on a post-it note on my monitor at work. Because if ransomware hit, there was no guarantee I would actually be able to look up that phone number. And it's like, you got to call your cybersecurity insurance. And then you got to call somebody to come help you out because you don't know how to do it yourself. Because you're just an IT administrator. You're not a cybersecurity forensics expert. And that's the kind of shit you need to know how bad the breaches, how long it's been going on, how to bounce back out of it, and how to recover. So when I think and about that's not speci-
1: even necessarily a thing of like, oh, libraries don't have budgets, so they have to outsource everything. Like that's just like there's not that many people in the. It's not like every library can have their own like cyber forensics team, right?
2: <laughs> exactly, and a lot of libraries, especially smaller ones, will have like IT companies on call. Mm-hmm. especially if they don't have their own internal IT but there are plenty of are plenty of like cybersecurity for- firms out there that can do this stuff for you they're just very very expensive mm-hmm. so the ones that you can rely on are the ones who are taking cop shit data and giving it to you to protect yourself
0: mm-hmm. like to protect
2: your own network
0: or if you're lucky you have one person who has an interest in this kind of stuff and is like Oh, yeah, the cyber forensics is like my thing. And they're just like willing to test out your systems for you, but you're not paying them any extra. Yeah,
2: it's not. That's not enough. I, I can tell you hands down it for a library system. You would have to be a gigantic library system because cybersecurity is like not even close to being a one person job, even if your entire job was cybersecurity. So like my job encounter, like cybersecurity is part of my job, maybe about a fourth of my job. So to actually have a full cybersecurity team, we would need like eight people and we're a pretty large library system. And that's expensive because people with that sort of, there's a shortage of library of cybersecurity personnel. It is a traditionally high paying career path. So as a library, you're not going to be able to pay. Same thing as, you know, I'm in Washington as, as Microsoft or, you know, any of those other tech firms. So you have to take what you can get out of an already diminished pool. So if you have somebody on your team who's like, yeah, I'm really into pen testing and I'll run these scans and stuff for you, it's still just one thing. It's just that's still just one aspect of the level of cybersecurity you would need to be able to say, Like, yes, we have confidence that if this kind of thing happens, we could bounce back from it. And it's not even necessarily we have the confidence we can prevent this, because that's just straight up not possible. Part of the reason it keeps me up so night at night so much is because it like it's basically an inevitability. It is common, it's very common, and it's very likely. So like when you're doing risk management or like risk weighing, an earthquake is high level of damage, not very Not very likely. Workplace shooting, high level of damage, not as likely. Ransomware, high level of damage, high level of likelihood.
1: Has that ever happened at a place you worked at?
2: No, not to that point. Um, Places I know of a library system uh, in the state of Washington who, in the past couple of years, got hit with ransomware, kept it completely mum, and paid the ransom. Mm. I only heard about that because I work library IT. One of my previous employers had a ransomware attack, not a ransomware attack, but a breach start to happen and was able to remediate it. And very, very recently, a a county system in Washington was hit with ransomware and it was something that was like talked about in the news. But for everyone that you hear about in the news, there's like at least five more instances of it happen that didn't hit the news. So basically, you have to approach ransomware. As a sort of disaster planning, like it has to be part of your disaster recovery plan, like for your backups and all that stuff, and that's all part of IT to begin with. Because if you hit with an earthquake, you have to have a plan on how to get your systems back up online for your If the, the comrade
1: sharks like eat the internet, in exactly. The ocean. Like what are you going to do?
2: Exactly, and then but
1: I need to blaha or pronounce it. That's like the internet eating comrade sharks.
2: Yeah, but like an earthquake doesn't damage your reputation. Ooh. You know, you know what I mean. So if you get hit with ransomware, yeah. it's high damage, high likelihood. Also, can completely obliterate the trust in the community that you serve if people don't understand exactly how common and devastating it can be. And how so, it probably
1: has nothing to do with the security systems.
2: It has very little to do with the security systems. It, yeah, because zero-day attacks happen like literally the whole point of zero day attacks is that you can't see them coming. Like nobody knows that it's out there until the attack hits. Right. So that's why it keeps me up at night. That's why I say this all of the time. And I'm just like, I don't sleep over this is because it is, it's incredibly high pressure in a sense, but it's also because I don't want this to happen to my community, which, you know, kind of sounds cheesy. Like, of course I'm thinking like about the community and the impact, but like, I feel like it's doubly so because I work in library IT and we are like, you know, try to try to be privacy advocates and Mm -hmm. try to have open access and all of these things can't coincide together peacefully. And then, you know, you get dinged for having a ransomware attack happen kind of thing.
1: Yeah. that I do have a a question based off of that. Mm -hmm. I know anytime I've taught like, you know, digital privacy and security info and stuff, especially when you get to threat modeling. Mm -hmm. There's always that like balance between having people take this seriously and that like there are indeed threats while also not freaking them out. So. Yeah. (laughs) Like, obviously it's all bad, but like, I think there's maybe sometimes a difference between like – a personal breach versus an institutional breach like that. Like they both have their like seriousnesses, but like the degree to which like someone can connect with like what the risks are and stuff. Like, so I guess how would you say like, how would you say that we should educate both our librarian and library worker, like colleagues, as well as our patron communities about ransomware with the like, this is a threat, please take this seriously, while also not tinfoil hat freak out people. Where like, oh no, I can't stop it, I'm not perfect, therefore I shouldn't try, I'm already in too deep. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the one I hear a lot with like passwords and stuff. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah, like you said, like it's very different on an institutional level. And this Mm -hmm. whole time I've been talking at an institutional level or trying Mm -hmm. to, partially just so maybe people understand that there is a difference mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of what we hear in the news and stuff about ransomware attacks and all of this stuff happens at this institutional level but then people sort of retroactively apply it to their personal, right? So there's like a factor of freak outedness there that just straight up doesn't apply to a, like a, an individual. Yeah. And so like I would think of those as different spheres, at least when I have like gone into privacy and security with like staff trainings or with providing resources to staff to provide to patrons towards sort of within IT orientation, like you have to understand the level that you're trying to speak at. Mm-hmm. So like this whole episode, I've been talking at like an I- an IT level most of this stuff that keeps me up at night is not actually anything that most individual people need to worry about I'm worrying about it so people don't <laughs> have to worry about it right <laughs> and so uh, and this also just comes back to IT workers not treating their users like they're all stupid because you have to know how to teach well and separate out what's relevant from to you from what's relevant to your staff person that you're trying to teach or the, you know, staff person that you're trying to teach is trying to teach a patron because it does vary so wildly. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to staff, I try to, I I try to approach it as practical as possible, I guess, Mm. when it comes to what staff can do to keep the institution safe when it comes to cybersecurity. So like things like changing your password you know, a lot of the sort of basics that we teach people, but also things like I was just having a conversation about this with one of my coworkers, not sort of crossing your, your work and your personal domains. So if you use a password at work, the advice you'll hear from an IT person is don't repeat any of your passwords. Use a password that's manager.
1: Realistic. Yeah.
2: Don't repeat any of your passwords it's completely unrealistic for your average person, right? But that's the advice an IT person would give you. So, recognizing that that's not that's not practical for your average user and then figuring out what is practical. So, I would I would tell people, you know, if you reuse passwords, don't reuse them in work and in your personal life. Have a set of passwords for your work life, and a set of passwords for your personal life keep those separate and then reuse them within those domains as much as you want. And that not only helps protect the organization like the institution because a personal breach then gets filtered over into a workplace breach, but then it also protects the person because if your institution suffers a breach and those passwords get put out on you know, the market, it's much less likely that your personal life will be breached through that avenue.
1: Oh, that's a really good strategy. I hadn't heard of that one.
2: And like, there are tons of password strategies out there beyond like the best thing you can do is use a password manager and a unique password for everything. But there are Mm -hmm. other avenues to have better passwords that don't involve doing things the IT way. So like, recognizing that and and just being practical about what people can spot in phishing attempts. You know, like this is the number one way you can help us out. The rest of the advice. Maybe not so relevant, but this is what you can do. You can learn how to spot phishing. You can not complain about having to change your password every three months. And a lot of that also bleeds over into people's personal lives. So if you make it advantageous for both things, I feel like they're more likely to take up those sort of tactics. So something like threat modeling is really useful from that sort of angle because it helps them assess their own personal risks. You're just helping, like, trying to help them do that, but through, like, this is what we need you to do for threat modeling for the institution as a member of the institution kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then with, like, staff who are then teaching patrons, a lot of that, I haven't done, like, a training for staff on how to, like, come across, like, how to teach these sorts of concepts to like patrons because patrons vary so wildly there you'll have the dude who insists absolutely insists he talked to an IT person about this because you're being hacked right now which is absolutely not happening and then there's the person who you know struggles to to log into a computer kind of deal and i would say there it's just it's about resources it's about knowing how to guide your patrons to the correct resources and if that mm-hmm. means you take a sort of threat model approach to it to help the patron figure out what they are concerned about and what they need to guard against the most. Also reminding them that even the smallest, that because security is so concentric and like has so many layers that even small things can really help. And yeah. I know we've talked about this with privacy stuff with like Callan and Allison and, you know, that sort of thing too. It's it's like literally any step you can take is a good step. Mm-hmm. It, even if you haven't changed your password to your main email in 15 years, changing it today is better than continuing to not change it, you know? You're
1: never, like, too far gone You're never to too far
2: gone. Like, yeah. you can recover, you know? Like, even if everything goes to shit and, mm-hmm. like, you have identity theft happen or you have ransomware happen or you you lose $1,000 to a scammer, you can always reach a decent baseline. Mm-hmm. So much of it is like prevention. So, like a lot, like, you know, privacy, like the little bit of knowledge and action can go a really long way. And asking questions, knowing who you can ask questions to, find your approachable IT person who can help explain things in a way that doesn't make your head catch on fire. Don't cross your personal and work domains. Learn how to spot phishing because that's good for both your institution and for you all the way through your personal life. Pay
1: attention to font kerning and email addresses.
2: That too. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Like you really don't have to be a tech savvy person to be able to do a lot of the things that'll help safeguard you against it. So like also one thing, just fucking update your apps and your computers, please. When windows tells you that it needs to restart for an update, please don't push that shit off for six months because every time, every month, you push that off, there are more things in those updates that have that are that are vulnerabilities.
1: Most updates are security
2: related. Most updates are security related. Automate that shit as much as possible. Set your mm-hmm. browsers to automatically update. Set your OS to automatically update. Please, dear your God, phone. keep up on your update. Mm-hmm. And that is that's one thing I wish a lot of people would understand about IT is that IT is. At its base, about maintenance. It's infrastructure and it's about maintenance. So, technical debt, Justin, happens to be the idea that this is the debt that you take on to keep a system up and running. So, like any sort of repairs that you like or fixes you have to apply to something, that's you making up for technical debt. And keeping things updated is the same way. It's a technical debt that you have to keep up on. So yeah, that's that's kind of what that means. But, but yeah, for the love of God, please keep your shit updated.
1: Or like, I know one thing that Allison has said is that like, keep things updated and also remove what you're not using. Yes. Especially on your phone.
2: Yes. You know. Try to go through and delete old accounts you don't use anymore. Mm-hmm. If you can't delete them, at least change them to a gibberish password you're never going to use again. Do an audit of your digital life every once in a while. That'll go a long way. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And whenever a survey asks you, do you know what Doritos are? Say, no, I've never heard of them. Always lie to robots.
2: Yes. Always lie to to robots.
0: Uh, What was it? In a world where big data threatens to modify our lives, telling online surveys, I don't know what Pringles are, constitutes heroism.
2: Keep up that junk data, people.
1: I mean, that's a good point about when it asks you for, um, password hint questions of like, what was your mom's maiden name? Lie and remember what lies you told, mm-hmm. but don't put the actual answers in there. Cause a lot of that is public. Like, even if you're not posting the answers on Twitter, a lot of this is publicly available information.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a public employee too,
1: especially that, if you're a public, especially employee.
2: if you're a public employee, like, you know, people, not only can they FOIA that shit. They can also probably just find it if they spend an extra 10 minutes digging for it, right?
1: It's not hard to find out what your mom's middle uh, maiden name was. I don't even
0: get those kind of questions. That like I haven't had to answer not a security anymore, question yeah. anymore. It's mostly one- like trying to remember what my general password is for my main email address and my LastPass and my Apple account. And they're and all your bank different account- passwords.
1: I use Bitwarden.
2: Please use a unique password for your bank account. I think
1: it's probably just a gibberish thing. I know one thing: my bank account doesn't. I, I don't see too many others. Instead of doing like security questions, it has a security image.
2: Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm.
0: There's a website called Have I Been Pwned? You can put all your email addresses mm-hmm. into it, and it'll email you if if you're part of a data breach. And I haven't
1: been and a in, lot any data breaches in a lot of password managers. Some password managers will mm-hmm. do that for you now as well. And also they can do an audit as to like when was the last time you changed this password and how many of your accounts have the same password and they'll like help you change it. Like they'll help you go through your password hygiene and stuff. They're really they're really
2: nice. Firefox will also do the check for you. Use Firefox. Use
1: Bitwarden. Use Bitwarden. Free and open source, and not based in the United States.
2: Hold on, there's there's and you another can host one. your
1: own server of it if you want.
2: Trying to find
1: and it's free unless you want to pay for premium. Like if you want to use like YubiKey, you have to get the paid version. But there's also like a family plan. So like
0: well, I had to switch to I had to switch to LastPass because my work because they blocked the password manager I was working I was using before
1: my uh longy and I, I bitch about it cuz i don't like it but for our like two factor authentication and our single sign on are the same thing we use one login which you get like you like log into it so it's more like a master password kind of thing and sends you a two factor authentication if you're not in the ip range and then you go in and then there's all these like tiles which you click and then those have like a randomly scrambled password in them. But then like, that's how you get in. So it's like a password manager, single sign on. Cause you can also like add accounts that aren't the ones created by the school. But I also don't like this because it makes it hard to like link to resources. And also it doesn't really work a lot with like library systems that are expecting like easy proxy or, you know, open Athens or something. But the fact that, like, the two-factor authentication and the password manager, which I don't use it for that, I still use Bitwarden, and are like single sign-on; they're all the same. So it's one less thing for the students to have to download.
2: Mm-hmm. That's kind of the the idea behind that, single song. You are more likely to have a secure password if you only have to remember one.
1: Yeah, and it's like it's like their their student account password and and login and stuff, and that's what their one login. I'm going to have to
2: dig around and find it, but I know that there's a website where you can plug in your email and then it checks a whole bunch of really common websites and tells you whether or not you have an account on that website,
1: Oh, which
2: is really useful for sort of doing a digital cleanup. Because like if you haven't touched your Coursera account in 10 years, like I have, maybe I should go ahead and delete that because I completely forgot I had it. So, um,
1: And there's one that will also help you delete like – and maybe it's the same one, but, like, it not only will it check, but it'll tell you how to delete the account, because sometimes it's not always obvious.
2: Mm-hmm. Just delete me.
1: Just delete me. Just it's
2: delete me. Just delete dot me.
1: Just unalive and- me.
0: Just fucking end my shit. I'm going to make a service called just end my shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's um, a similar thing for, like, in your email, like, for, like, newsletters and shit that you get like unroll.me or something where after a time you have to pay for it, but at least you can like start for free. Will help you, It will help you like unsubscribe from newsletters as well as like mailers and all sorts of stuff. And that can also, you know, help. Also just keeps your email from being annoying. Yeah. Fellow, fellow transes out there who have done a legal name change. That doesn't, even if you went, did like your social security and whatnot, that doesn't mean it got changed everywhere, Um, especially in like records and stuff. So you might, even if it sucks, you might also want to check under your dead name step mm. if you ever have to do that I, I have to do that sometimes especially like i still haven't changed my name on one of my credit cards because they won't let you do it online and i have adhd so that th- that means it's not getting changed and um my birth certificate hasn't been changed um one because i don't want to but two because i was born in ohio and apparently it's real hard to do it there and like i haven't changed my name on my degrees or anything so like check, check both. Um, if you have, I mean, anyone who's changed their name, even if it hurts to do it, just like rip it off like a bandaid.
2: Uh, yeah, but I, I have a whole one note full of useful, uh, digital security and privacy links. So, uh, hit me up if y'all, <laughs> if anybody wants, which like shout out to like library freedom project and a ton of the guests on here and i like i didn't come across these on my own i guess is what i'm trying to say
1: yeah i made like a github repo with a bunch of that i made when i was doing like in 2020 in the summer when like protests were happening there was like a local activist group that i did a, a little training for and i made like a github repo of like digital security and like protest security resources so like GitHub repos because just markdown files and, yeah. you know, plain text to download and stuff. So that's also an avenue. But I know people here at GitHub and get scared. So
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, we should go. <laughs> it's been two hours. Good night.